So we are going to try for the second time. Oh, good evening. Good evening, by the way. Sorry about that. But we are going to try that for the music. second time. What? What's I that? still got to do the music. You know, oh. like, bing, ding, 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 <laughs> ding. Uh, yeah, Scott's still working on that. He's still working on our tune. But uh, this past Sunday, we continued our series in First John. And we did our best to upload it to Podbean. But it didn't work. Well, is it Beam or Bean? Podbean? Bean. Podbean. That's why it didn't Pod work. Podbean. That's what I thought. You were on the wrong one. No, it was, it was Podbean. It was the one you sent to Katie. Anyways, we tried our best, but my wife's phone didn't have storage, so it didn't work out. But we're oh, going to do it again. Wow, wow, wow. Well, we weren't there anyway. And the, and listen, the Myerscoffs weren't there, and <gasps> they needed to be there. You just said our last names. Oh, my goodness. I yeah, said their last names. We got to start over. <laughs> <laughs> got to edit that out. Okay. Nobody we'll, knows how to spell that anyway. We'll edit. Okay. Edit. We'll cut, okay. we'll cut that. Anyways, we are in first John. <laughs> we are in first John chapter three, and we are going to continue in verse number 16, but I want to recap briefly because it's been a bit since I taught the first part, it's been a couple of weeks. So on the notes, the first point was the world hates us because our existence condemns them. And this is something that we'll talk more about next Sunday because it goes into the subject of false prophets. They behave just as we should expect because they're of the world. We'll talk about that another time, though. This Sunday. But this coming Sunday. Yeah, not next Sunday. Not next Sunday. Yes, this coming Sunday. Sorry, got my, my days all mixed up. But anyways, the world hates us because our existence condemns them. And no matter how much grace you think would impress somebody and impel them to accept the gospel, grace actually highlights our need for a Savior. People don't want to admit that they need a Savior. They don't want to admit that they have sin that's so serious that it required Jesus to come down into the world and, and give us this gift of eternal life. So that's the first point. The second point was we fail each other and the lost when we act as Cain did. And we talked about Cain's sin started out as jealousy and eventually it, it fermented into a murderous hate. It led to the first murder in history. And I talked about how the same propensity is in all of us. It's in our flesh. It's part of our sin nature. But something I didn't bring up that I wanted to share is we can't be neutral when it comes to loving people, our brothers and sisters in Christ, and also the world. A lot of times what we want to do so when we have a hard time getting along with someone is we want to cage ourselves. Like we're going to put this person over here and I'm going to be over here and we're going to create this barrier. And we justify it by saying, well, if I, if I let this person in or if, if I try to love them, then they're not going to take it the way I want them to take it. And they're going to be difficult and it's just going to create a lot of chaos and conflict. And we don't want that. So we think that we're actually doing them and us a service by saying, you're over there, I'm over here, and we'll just leave it at that. We'll agree to disagree. But here's the thing. It's in our nature to be sinful in general, but specifically it's in our nature to be hateful towards people. And if we allow our sin nature to have its way by feeding it, separating ourselves from people, then what we're going to do eventually is start to think ill of those people because we're not around them. We're not making a conscientious effort to love them. them. And so you're going to be thinking they're the enemy. And this can happen really quickly with people that you know and that you're friends with. Uh, family members who may have a different point, let's say within a church, uh, you have someone in your church family, maybe even in your family family, and they have a disagreement with you about theology. Mm. Well, it's really easy to say, man, I don't want to get into that. I don't want to argue with that person, so I'm going to avoid that person. And they, they become an elephant in the room. And when they're over there, they're no longer regarded as part of the family. They're outside. We've experienced that ourselves, all I, of us. We have. In and, that one situation that we've had in Sunday school. Yes. So, yeah, right. absolutely. And yeah. so... Mm. This is something that can happen just as easily yeah. in the church as outside the church, just as easily in your Christian family as in your family family. But we can't be neutral about it. So something that this challenged me with is I have to go out of my way. It mm. may be hard. I may have to grip my teeth, but I have to go out of my way to love somebody 
even if it's awkward. Mm. Even if I'm afraid of conflict, I have to push past that fear because I know myself. And if I say I'm not going to hang out with this person, I'm going to start talking about that person behind their back. It's going to be like, man, can you believe this person? And it's constantly negative. So when you do see that person, it really comes across. You're yeah. not being yourself. It's like this one thing has become this huge wall between you two. So I think that's probably what happened with Cain at first. Cain mm. and Abel probably growing up had a good relationship. I mean, they were brothers. I'm sure it didn't start off with a huge rift between the two of them. I still but think they were twins. What's that? I still think they were twins. I personally don't think so, but it's possible. I mean, it could be that Cain Duke it out. came out first, but whatever. <laughs> Duke it out. <laughs> but anyways, I think that, um, you know, it all started, at least as far as the biblical record is concerned, with Cain's jealousy. And he probably avoided his brother. I'm not going to get around him. I don't want to be around him right. because I'm not going to be able to talk kindly to him. You know, being around him reminds me of all that happened. And so he separated himself from his brother, no doubt. He couldn't be sociable. And then the next time he does see him, what does he do? Mm. He drops him. He kills him. You kills know? him. And so I'm not saying that that's going to happen. <laughs> you it know, might. I'm just saying it can, it can happen as clearly taught in scripture and we have to be careful, you know, so we can't be neutral. It's our God given commission, by the way, even apart from the practical nature right. of this discussion here of what we should do. Um, it is our God given commission to be, um, loving one another and to be a light to the lost. That is, right. So right. that's it. So First even second commandment, right? Exactly. I mean, right? So yeah. even if I'm saying chapter. to myself, this is going to be hard. I don't really want to do this. I'd rather just, you know, go in my room hypothetically and shut the door to these people in my life. God says, you're not allowed to do that. And so I think that the more that we do grit our teeth and do it because God said so, eventually we're going to see, wow, God was right. When God told me to do this, he knew what was best for me and he knew what was best for them. So that's something that came to my mind as I study this. I can't be neutral about loving somebody. I can't say, well, I'm not hurting them, right? Yeah. I'm not hating them. I'm just yeah. not dealing with them. That falls short of what God's told me to do. The third point is love of God. The love of God can only be perceived through the giving of ourselves. A lot of people think of love, again, in more of a neutral way, but the love of God is going beyond that to giving yourself to somebody, sacrificing your own wants, your own uh, comfort even for that person. And of course, Jesus gives us the perfect example of it by laying down his life. In verse 16, hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. By the way, I think it's interesting. Uh, this is a side issue. Don't really want to go down this rabbit trail, at least too far. But verse 16, when it says, hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. Isn't that a really powerful statement to the incarnation? Mm. That God became a man and laid down his life. That God died, of course, had to take on flesh to do so. But this is one of those verses where if you look at different translations, you're going to see that the majority of them don't actually say, hereby we perceive the love of God. Um, I'm curious to see what Scott says, because his so, is the MEV. Right. It says, by this, we know the love of God and that he laid down his life for us. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Okay. Now, what, since what it's fallen in? in the, it's um, verse 16, uh, uh, first John three. So since your translation, Scott, the MEV, it's in the tradition of the King James, right? That's, um, it doesn't surprise me now that you read that, but there are others and most of them that will not translate it that way. Tell me, Christy, what you got? So I have the new living. Yeah. What does the new living say? And it says, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. Yes. So what, what they will say to justify tr translations like that, because there are others, okay? That's NLT just one example, is they'll say of God is not in the text. So when it says the love of God, that's not actually in the text. Well, it is in the Greek edition underlying the King James Bible. So if you look at the uh, Greek edition of Theodore Beza, I don't want to give you too much history to bog you down, but Theodore Beza his edition, and it may have been his third edition, that I'm a little iffy on, but uh, one of his subsequent editions of the Greek New Testament was used by the King James translators. And that particular edition has in the Greek, the love of God. So the whole phrase there. So the King James is one of those few translations along with the MEV, which isn't even really very popular. Right, that's um, new. So it's, yeah. you know, those translations are in the minority in rendering it this way. So I think that if you stick with the King James, this is a really good verse to highlight, underline, and you could share it with people, maybe, 
okay, a Jehovah's Witness, and they say, well, I don't believe that Jesus is God. I don't believe that God became a man. I think Jesus is the Archangel Michael. You know, it's a view that they have. You can show them this verse. Hereby we perceive the love of God because he laid down his life for us. So it's a really good verse to Now I see what you're talking about. Yeah, so yeah. That, that's the significance of it. Right. That it. It really highlights Jesus, the one that's who laid God. down his life, is God. ESV says, by this we know love. Yes. Yeah. And, and again... This is a textual difference. It's not yes. translational. The ESV is going to use a critical text uh, edition of the Greek Bible, and that's going to be different than the Texas Receptus. Yeah. And even among the Texas Receptus, there are some variations, very few. But uh, this is one of those that I like to highlight because I think it's a powerful verse. Right. I really think it is. Anyways, besides that interesting detail, it says we perceive the love of God because he laid down his life for us. So we ought also to lay down our lives for the brethren. So, I mean, it's pretty simple there. If you want to know why you should love somebody, well, God loved you. And if he laid down his life for you, then you should lay down your life for other people. And, and this is one of those very basic reasons, probably the most basic. Of course, I think there are additional reasons to love people, and I'm going to share those with you. But loving the brethren, starting at the church and then working your way out to the world, because obviously we're not to just stay cloistered and love one another and not reach out to the world. There are some Christians who think of it that way. Right. We know that we're supposed to go out. We know we're supposed to be a light and salt of the earth. But the first reason why we love people is because God loved us. Yeah. And he said, look, I loved you so much that I died for you. And once you believed in me, I saved you and I made you my child. And now I am telling you, it is your job to love each other and to love other people. Even if you don't want to, that's like me, like me telling my kids, you got to love each other. Right. Why? Because I said so. Right. I love you. I'm in charge. And I'm telling you, you're going to love each other. Right. Whether you like it or not, you're going to get along. That's How right. many times have we said that? I'm going to tie you together and you'll get along. You're going to get yeah. along. It was my house. You're going to kiss each other. Kiss really? each other and make up. Oh man, when my mom made me do that, like kiss my brother on the cheek and make up. Oh gosh, I just wanted to tear yeah, it to pieces. He probably liked it though. <laughs> yeah, he probably what? He that's probably, probably why he though. turned out the way he did. <laughs> if you're ever listening, inside yeah. joke uh, about my brother Dylan. Love him very much. Hey, <laughs> anyways, excuse me. Um, oh, I need to get him to listen to one of these. Yeah, not yeah. tonight though. Not I'll be tonight. like Dylan. Come here. We'll give you a mic. You can defend yourself. That's right. <laughs> but anyways. Um, we love because it's just, it's also gratitude. Like if, listen, if someone pulls you out of a, a raging torrent, okay, you're in this, this rapid mm. and you're drowning. If someone pulls you out and they say, look, I got something for you to do for me. Okay. You don't have to do it. I've already saved you, but I'm telling you, this is what I want you to do. You're going to say what? Sure. <laughs> you yeah. just saved my life. What do you want me to do? I want you to love your brother. Okay. That may be yeah. hard sometimes, but you told me to, and you saved me, so I'm going to do it. But there are other reasons, too. All right, and before we get to those, I want to read verse 17, because this illustrates the kind of love that God wants us to have for each other. But whoso hath this world's good, good means you're blessed, materially speaking. You have stuff that you can dispense and give to other people, okay, whether it be money or other goods. But whoso hath this world's good, seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion. We usually speak of heart, but in Eastern language, bowels and guts, interestingly enough, is mm. the way they express deep emotion. But shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him. How dwelleth the love of God in him? How can you say that God is at work in your life, and he is empowering you, and he is using you, and, and you are on good terms with God, and you're walking hand in hand with God? How can you claim that? But yet you have things that you can give to other people in need and you don't do so. So this is, again, not talking about, mm. um, you know, person being saved or not saved. This is talking about a saved person having God at work in their life. Like, I do believe that at this time of my life, I'm in fellowship with God. I know that I have room for improvement, but I believe that I'm honoring God with my life. Mm. And the thought of me not honoring God makes me say, wow, what can I do to fix things? Okay, so I am motivated at this time of my life with a, a deep felt desire to honor God. Okay, but how can someone say that they are honoring God in their life? I'm doing what God's wanting me to do, fulfilling his will. If I have things that I can give and I'm not giving them to people, you know, and, and that really gets me too. like even with a stranger. 
Okay. I feel guilty. Like every time I see somebody who's in need and I pass them by now, yeah. a lot of times I'll think, you know, well, how do I know this person's like legitimately in need? But Chris, I Chrissy think he just stops and picks them up or actually Cheryl's done that as well. <laughs> I've heard some stories. Uh, Christy, a guy on the run, a he had a gun, gun, all this stuff. She it was okay. It was a family. Yeah, God, God I had a little girl and I needed to put her in my car seat and keep her safe. Cheryl once picked up, was an old man on the side of the yeah, road or something? Yeah, there by the Ocan Hospital. Yeah. See, you know, we want to help people. I right. do. When I was down um, in Canton and we saw this guy and he was asking for help, I didn't know, but I said to myself at that moment, I knew it was God convicting me. I was like, I don't care if this guy is trying to defraud me because I don't know. That's right. right? It's a possibility. Yes. I know it's a possibility, but I don't care about that We're because I've got, I've got cash here. And I actually thought earlier, I found that cash in my wallet, forgot that it was there, 20 mm-hmm. bucks. And I was like, Hey, look, 20 bucks. <laughs> what am I going to spend this on? And we passed by that guy and it's not a coincidence. It's like, God wanted me to give that money, to that man. So I gave that man the money and I said, God bless you. And I gave him a track. Yeah. And, and I, and we, and I, and I, I said a short prayer with him. And mm-hmm. then another guy, this was on, this was a different one. I'm thinking of one in Canton, but on vacation, there was yeah. another guy oh, yeah. and we gave a track to him. We gave him some money. The Lord convicted me to do that. It was an opportunity, not for me to just, you know, feed this guy's habit. If he had a bad one, right. it was an opportunity for me to share the love of Christ. And I made it about Christ. Every time we give something to somebody, you know, I'll say, this is what the Lord wants me to do. I'll give him a track. I'll say, God bless you. Can I pray with you? These are things that highlight the kind of charity that I have. It's not right. just, Hey, you're a human being. And I feel like you ought to have something. You right. Know? right. It's just common decency. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's not that it's you're made in God's image. I want you to know Jesus. Even if you, you already know him. Well, then that would make you my brother or sister in that's Christ. Right. And I'm told to love you. So that's the way we should look at the world around us all the time. Well, the people that I picked up were walking down the side of the, well, they were on the dirt pushing a stroller full of stuff. Yeah. They have a shopping cart full of stuff. I don't remember. I just felt like I needed to pull over and ask them if they needed help. And they told me and I said, get in the car really right, right now because they were in danger. So they got in the car and I took them to church and then some men from church helped them get out of town and paid for a hotel. Yeah. So they got, they were in a bad situation as well. They were in a really bad situation. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know what? They, God put them in your life. I mean, that's exactly right. I had never even thought that a pastor was like, how do you know that they don't have a gun? And I'm like, it didn't even occur to me. And so he's out there, son, do you have a gun? Well, yeah, I have a gun right here. I'm like, oh. You know what? The well, it's, it, you know, that, but anyway. it's not a crime to have a gun. But, you know, in, right. in that That's situation, it's scary. Okay. I was you know, not at all at any time scared. Oh, I, I know. I'm just saying after the fact, knowing that the guy had a gun, yeah. you, you don't know people. They're unpredictable. But here's the thing. I'm not going to drive down the road with all the kids in the car and I'm going to pick up some suspicious right. man. I'm not going to do that. That's okay. Right. I'll pass them by and I'll say, God you know that my number one duty is to my family. So I'm not going to help this person. You know, my heart. Okay. And and I'm able to, you know, assuage my guilt and and Mm. say, you know, this is not something that I need to do right now. However, there have been other times me and Katie were in the car and we were on the way to grow. We're on the way to outreach. We're five minutes from the church, but we were running late and we passed by an old fellow who was walking up the road and that guy, it was hot. That guy was, he was bent over and I was like, I cannot do that. So I called pastor and said, pastor, I'm running late, but I got to pick up this guy. It's I turned back around. I picked him up. Turns out he was an ex preacher man. Yeah. He had a bad relationship with his kids. His uh, daughter wouldn't let him drive Mm. his own car. And I think it was because she took the car from him. And again, this is his side of the story, yeah, but he seemed course. to be, you know, transparent about it. And I, and I took him up to the Ingalls and I dropped him off and, uh, he was able to, groceries. able to get him some groceries. But you know, that was something the Lord convicted me. If I would have just kept going, how can I go to church right. and do outreach? To, to do outreach I just and passed not. this guy. This would be exactly what John was talking about. Yes. You know, you have world's goods. You have this transportation that he doesn't have. Obviously tells you go pick him up. Yeah. Right. He tells you. And, and that's, he does. and that's the way we ought to be applying this text. But let me go in real quick before we move on to the next point. Um, the other reasons why we love people. So obviously justice, you know, it's right to do this because God did that for us. Gratitude, the new nature we have. I think that Christians, if we allow that new nature to have its way, if we allow God to have his way, then loving people is natural to us. I do have a concern for the lost. I think that's probably one of the earliest signs 
that someone is a true believer. Right. It's when they have a concern for the lost. My little girl, Scotty, seven years old, every person we meet. Okay. If she doesn't ask them and usually she'll ask the younger kids, you know, she'll ask people like, are you a Christian? But she'll ask me, is that person a Christian? Do they know Jesus? Yeah. She's always concerned about it. It's Isabel. Yeah. Always burdened. Isn't that wonderful, though, that that is the new nature inside them? And, yeah. and we need to feed that and Amen. nurture that. And so we have that new nature. Loving our, our Christian family should come naturally. It's when we allow our sin nature to get in the way that things don't take the course they ought to. But here's the last two examples of why... We should love each other and, of course, love the lost because we see God that way and others see God. The book of John, 1 John, is all about seeing. He talks about seeing God, knowing God, abiding in God, but seeing is, a, is one of those analogies that's used. And he says, hereby we perceive the love of God. So how did we see God's love? You know, we could think about it, right? I mean, we could consider, oh, well, we're personal beings. We love each other. Well, we're patterned after God. That means God's a God of love. So that's logical. But that's not really what he's saying here. He's not right. saying we know God's love because it's logical. He's saying we know God's love because we saw him lay down his life. You know, John speaking as an eyewitness of that, okay, at the foot of the cross, we saw the love of God. So if we want to have people see God, then we have to love them. And love them in a way that goes above and beyond the charities and the humanitarian organizations right. in the world. We can't have just that kind of love. We have to have a love that goes above and beyond. Again, a love that authentic. gives of oneself. Authentic. It's sacrificial love. Love that makes them wonder, why do you care? Why? Right. Why? What? This is weird. Like, yeah. you're a weirdo. Like, you don't know me. But yet you care for me. And then that's your opening. It's Jesus. Right. right. The woman that hugged the um, devil worshiper. Guy. Yes. That we talked about. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We talked about that. That's, that's authentic. A, a authentic love right yeah. there. Yeah. Is Isabel's mom asked me one time why we do what we do. Right. And I was able to completely talk to her about Jesus in that instance. Mm -hmm. And that right there is what it's all about. Right. You know, the doctrine is important. John this coming Sunday is going to go into doctrine and discerning between truth and error. And we'll talk about that. That's so important. Um, I, I do want to emphasize that John, he puts both of those things side by side and he doesn't divorce them from each other. So loving action and sound doctrine, that's, you put those two things together and that's how you have fellowship with God. But right here, he's focusing on the practical side of things. And we can't convince people of our doctrine if we don't express that doctrine in love. It's impossible. Mm. You have this whole segment of Christianity that's like doctrine, 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 no love. No, no love. Break. That's right. And and then you have the people over here that are love, 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 no love, doctrine. but no, no doctrine. doctrine. And <clears throat> they need to read First John. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, then, and the next thing is seeing God. I think that even if you love somebody and they don't reciprocate, because it happens. Okay. Yes. Uh, sadly, it does. If you love somebody sacrificially, what does that do? It gives you insight into God. When, when, when God laid down his life, as we just read, didn't he know that a lot of people were not yeah. going to accept him? In fact, it's called the Broadway for a reason. He knows most people right. aren't going to accept him. And when you, when you consider that, he loved him anyways. He shed his blood anyways. Now, if God can love like that, knowing they would reject him and not using that as an excuse to say, well, I'm not going to die for them because I know they won't reciprocate. How can we say, well, we're not going to love somebody because we know they probably won't reciprocate. That's what we'll do sometimes. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to share the gospel with this person because they probably won't respond the way that I want mm. them to. Right. How dare we do that when God knew exactly how some people would respond and he died for them anyways. And of course, this is all based on the idea of unlimited atonement that Jesus say, died for all. Right now, okay, so if you're a Calvinist, you're probably not liking what I'm saying, but this is what scripture teaches. He loves all. In fact, in John chapter two, what does it say? He didn't just die for us, but he died for the sins. He was the propitiation for the sins of the whole oh, world. world. Okay, right. so if God can have that kind of love, then we can too, because we know that the power of God's love can make change in people's lives. And we don't know how they're going to respond. Only God knows that. And he'll use that love. We can't underestimate that. The power of the Holy Spirit to convict people when we love them with the love of Christ. And I think that even if they don't respond, what are we going to do as we love people and we see their rejection? We're going to think, wow, the reason they're rejecting is because they're sinners. 
and I'm a sinner too. Mm. And I'm so thankful that God convicted me. I'm so thankful that he showed up in my life and that I let him in because where I would be in the same situation, oblivious, not having a clue as to how awesome God is, just like these people, if it wasn't for him making the first move, I didn't seek him. He sought me, you know, so we see God and we have a further appreciation of his love when we love. Yeah, it's risky. It is loving people's risky, but the, hard. it is hard. But when we give of ourselves, we see God. Now let's look at point number four, uh, verse number 19. My little children are sorry. I need a no, verse 18. Sorry. I said 19, but it's verse 18. Um, my little children, let us love not in word, neither in tongue, but indeed in a truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. I love this one. This is one of my favorite points. Our faithfulness should be measured against the truth of God and not the accusations of our heart. How many times do we beat ourselves up because we feel like we're not doing enough for the Lord? We're not loving enough. We could have done this, but we didn't. Some of that is conviction. Okay. A hundred percent. I agree with that. But often it's not right here. It's saying that our hearts can condemn us. So we can't trust every emotion that comes our way. We can't trust every thought that we have. So how do we judge and determine, are we loving indeed and in truth? Well, we have the empirical evidence here. It says in verse 18, let us love not in word, neither in tongue, but in indeed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth. So how do you know that you're of the truth? How do you know your fellowship with God? Mm. Are you loving indeed and in truth? Mm. So you look at your life and you say, am I loving people indeed and in truth? Can they see my love? Cause this love that God showed me was perceivable. The love that I'm showing people, is it perceived? And there mm. is objective evidence for that. And if you're doing that, then it doesn't matter what your heart says. You could tell your heart to shut up. In fact, uh, I think it was uh, C.S. Lewis said something to that effect. Uh, he was talking about the existence of God in particular, but what he said applies here, I think, uh, in another way. He said that um, when I was an atheist, I had doubts. And I wonder, mm. what if I'm wrong? Right. He said, as a Christian, I have doubts and wonder, what am I wrong? He said, you are going to doubt no matter what position. You could go from one mountaintop to another mountaintop. I'm in this camp. I'm in that camp. You are going to doubt wherever you're at because your emotions are fickle and untrustworthy. Somebody's got to be right. Okay. Mm -hmm. When it comes to logical propositions, when it comes to certain things, you got to be right or wrong. Okay. That's the way truth is. But you're going to doubt no matter where you're at. So how do you know the truth? You have to have a standard to go back to. So how do I know that I am in fellowship with God? Am I loving indeed and in truth? And again, he's talking about how to stay in fellowship with God after receiving his gift. Faith alone is enough to bring one into the family, but it is not enough to keep one in good standing within the family. Notice I said in good standing. <laughs> I didn't say to keep one in the family. Okay, I'm not saying at all that someone stays in the family of God and maintains their salvation by loving and deeding in truth. There are many Christians who believe that. Mm -hmm. Don't believe that's what scripture teaches. I'm saying if you want to be a good standing in the family, you want to be on good terms with God and, and with the brethren, you have to be loving and deeding in truth. That's the only way we can have fellowship. But this is comforting, even though it's not talking about assurance of salvation. It's talking about fellowship. And for the longest time, I misapplied it. I thought it was talking about salvation. It's not. It's talking about fellowship. Uh, assuring your hearts that we are in the truth means I am doing what the truth dictates. So God, his truth, his word, this is what he wants. Am I doing that? Obeying. Obeying. And hmm. so if you're doing what he says here, then you are of the truth. You may not feel like it. There may be times where you feel like God's distant, like the light, the sun is behind a dark cloud, but you know that the sun is there. Okay. I know that God is pleased with me even when I don't feel like it because I'm loving indeed and in truth. That's not how we assure ourselves of salvation. The way you assure yourself of salvation is, have I believed in Jesus? That's how you assure yourself. Right. And if you say, yes, I've called upon the Lord and I've accepted his gift, well, then that's done. Okay, you check that off. Okay, but are you in fellowship with God? Well, that's, am I loving indeed and in truth? Okay, point five. Okay, uh, let's look at verse... 21, if you hear Jamie, just ignore him. Uh, he is getting tired of his tablet. And when that happens, trouble is on the rise. So verse 21 says, 
Beloved, if our heart condemn us, sorry, condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Verse 5, or sorry, uh, point 5, excuse me, uh, is the effectiveness of our prayers is contingent on, based on our obedience and not our feelings. So that's really important. Uh, now, God will give us many things just because we're his children. Okay, I take care of my kids. Okay, I want to make sure that they're cleaned. I want to make sure that they're fed, that they mm. have the basic necessity of life, that they're loved, even if they're not obeying. However, if my kids walk up to me and they say, Daddy, I want a piece of gum. Scotty, for some reason, is always asking for gum. Okay, can I have a piece of gum? Can I have a piece of gum? Well, you don't it, teeth to chew it with. I know. But if for the you past... You knock them out. <laughs> if for the past hour, if for the past hour she's been doing nothing but disobeying me, you know what I'm going to say? Right, no. no. No gum for you. No gum for you. Okay, that's what John's talking about here. He's saying, if your hearts don't condemn you, like if you've looked at, okay, your life, You've got these doubts about whether or not I'm honoring God. And you looked at your life and you've said, hey, you know what? I am loving a deed of the truth. That's not bragging. That's just taking the standard of God's word, applying it to me and saying, listen, I still fall short, but I am trying to honor God and I'm loving people. I can always improve, but I'm doing God's will. If you say, yes, I'm doing that, then you have confidence when you go to God and you pray that if he says no to you, because sometimes he will, if he says no, it is not because God's punishing you. He's got another reason for saying no, okay? Whenever Paul, and I think it's 2 Corinthians 12, 9, if this reference in my notes here is correct, um, Paul asked for the thorn in the flesh to be taken away. Was he in fellowship with God at the time? He was in fellowship with God at the time. He was doing everything God wanted him to do. And he asked and God said, no, no, no. no." And finally, he explicitly said, my grace is sufficient for you. Mm. So what that means is, Paul was doing everything he needed to do, but he still didn't get the response that he wanted. Okay. So what John is saying here is not a blanket promise that if you do what God wants you to do, you will always get your way. What he's saying though is God is going to be favorable to your prayers if you're obeying him. And if you're not obeying him, he's not going to be favorable to those special requests like Scotty asking daddy for gum or candy. Can we have ice cream? No, you certainly can't because you've been disobedient today and ice cream is for good boys and girls. Okay. So that's the illustration that I'm given. I know it may sound silly, but it works. The idea is if we obey God, then God is going to listen to our prayers. It's listening to our prayers. It's listening. Now he may not answer our prayers the way way we we expect. Like, please heal. He may not. Mm, whatever. And that's because, but it's not going to be like, no, you made that request. I'm mad at you right now. So I'm saying that's no. That's right. That's not it. He's going to say to us, no, I've got some other thing that I'm doing here. You don't know what it is, but trust me, I've got everything My in order. My grace is enough. My grace is enough. Just trust me. You're not going to know everything. Okay. You'll never know everything because you're not me. Just trust me. When mm. my kids ask me questions, sometimes I have to say, you're not old enough. And sometimes right. when we're talking to God, okay, and he's talking back, he says, you're not going to know in this lifetime. You will not mm-hmm. know because this lifetime is such a small blip of existence. Mm. So childhood, they ask questions that we can't answer, right? You're not old enough yet. Well, for some questions, we won't get the answers until we're old enough. That is when we get to heaven when we've graduated when we've reached a level of maturity that we're capable of getting the answer. And even then, and even then there will be questions that we will not be able to comprehend. Right. Now he'll, he'll be able to give us the answers. Right. Okay. Because we have the answers already in the Bible. God, where'd you come from? I've yeah. always been buddy. How is that possible? You can't understand buddy. Well, why not God? Because you're finite. I'm infinite. Well, I get that God, but I don't like it. Too bad, buddy. Right. <laughs> I personally think in heaven, don't think I'm going to be wrestling with things like that. I'm going to have other things that I'm doing. But uh, God Playing doesn't cards. always give us the answers that going we're hunting. expecting. <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be going hunting. Hunting fruit with an arrow. <laughs> <laughs> with a, yeah, exactly. I'm going to hunt me down a really nice fruit on the tree. Look at that <laughs> apple right over there. Yeah. A perfect example is that flower shop up there in Woodstock that I wanted to buy. Right. Yeah. And when he, he said, no. no, and do you know that Patty told me a few weeks ago that they ended up closing that up, went completely out of business, closed it, <laughs> didn't sell it or anything. And I said, I have been saying, thank you, Lord. 
Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Because if I had bought that, that's where I'd be right now. I wouldn't be in Oregon, and I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. I'd be stuck in a flower shop, hating life. You'd be bankrupt. Yeah. And, and that's that's how... That's how God operates. Mm -hmm. Sometimes he just says, trust me. And you know what? That frustrates us because we think we're grown up, but we're not like, we think we're like a kid's like, like if you were to tell me all this, when it came to kids, like that analogy, I'd say, well, yeah, like obviously kids don't know as much as adults, but it's like, okay. So you're saying it's different with God. Are you, are you saying that you're a level of knowledge is comparable to God's level of knowledge or is there a huge gap? Mm. And when you think about it, the gap is a lot bigger than kids and adults. Mm -hmm. So if, if we will excuse, you know, ourselves, when we say, no, you're not ready yet, we should definitely excuse God and give him the benefit of the doubt and say, well, he's got a a good reason, no doubt for doing things the way he does. Uh, Now the last couple verses here, uh, verse 23 and uh, 24 This is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave his commandment. Isn't that so simple? Mm. Like, why do we complicate things so much? Sadly, we do. I mean, it says, believe on the name of Jesus. Okay. Have you believed in Jesus and got saved? Check. Love one another. I mean, it all is summed up in those two things here. (laughs) That your joy may be full. That your joy may be full. You believe, you're saved. But if you want your joy to be full, which is the whole thesis of this book, love one another. If you got those two things right, how you apply them in every situation, that takes wisdom and discipline and growth. But that right there is pretty simple. And in verse 24, he says, he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the spirit, which he hath given us. Now, the last point is this intimacy with God is possible by the presence of the Holy Spirit. So the reason we have a relationship with God as his children is because we have the Holy Spirit. And that intimacy we have is measured by the Holy Spirit. So what John is saying here is, we know that God is abiding in us, that we are in him and and he is in us, and we are in sync. Have y'all ever, you know, had a relationship with someone and you weren't in sync? Mm. Hey, there have been days, you can ask Katie, the past week, okay, there have been some moments where I've been a little grumpy. She's told me this. More you can than blame once. On the migraine and the pressure. At the, <laughs> and she's pressure. been a little grumpy too, but now I will admit I've been a little more grumpy than she has. Okay. Even but, with sleep deficit. Yes. So we. She's pregnant. She gets a full pass. She does. I will. I will give her that. But we. Uh, <laughs> we have not always been in sync, right? So it hasn't been like mentally, like uh, you know, I'm dwelling in her and she's dwelling in me, and we're on good terms. Scott and, and I have been in sync all week. <laughs> Is that it's facetious? I think me. the look shows that was a little sarcastic, but, <laughs> but um, <What>? you know, <laughs> Scott's like, well, he wasn't, uh-huh. he wasn't in sync, but anyways, it's measured by the Holy spirit. Now he says that at the end of this, and this is puzzled me. Like what exactly does he mean? We'll know that he abideth in us by the spirit, which he hath given us. It's just talking about some like mystical experience, you know, by the spirit, it's going to tingle a little bit. You know, you're going to know, no, this isn't being slain in the spirit. You're going to drop down the floor and rather around. Okay. This is talking but about you're putting everyone tonight. Calvinist I, and charismatic. I, I, I'm not, I'm just, I'm just saying it as it is what he's saying here. And this is explain more. Like if you just break this away from the rest of the text, if you don't go on and read, in chapter four, this is going to be a little confusing, I think. But if you read forward in chapter four, which is what we're doing this coming Sunday, he talks about the difference between the spirit of God and the spirit of Antichrist. Mm. So he gets into doctrine. So I think what he's saying here is, if you want to know that the spirit is working in you, if you want to know that you have intimacy with God, then you need to trust in that anointing that he mentions In chapter number two, in chapter two, verse 27, he says, but the anointing which you have received of him abideth in you and you need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things and is truth and is no lie. And even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. Now he's talking about these Gnostics, this group of heretics that was deceiving people. And he's saying, you don't need anybody to teach you. 
Okay, you don't need anybody to, to tell you you're not abiding in God because that's what these people were saying. They were saying we have a higher level of knowledge than you. Me and God, we're tight. And you know what? You're not. And you're not because you are not listening to our doctrine. Maybe you're ignorant of it. Maybe you haven't been enlightened as we have. Man, have you ever heard people like that? Mm. They may not be Gnostics, but they sure do act like them. But what he's saying, in, <laughs> what he's saying in chapter 2 um, is that you have an anointing. This is the Holy Spirit. And when you receive the Holy Spirit, you did, you did so. How? By believing the word. Paul talked about that in Galatians. He said, did you receive the Spirit by faith? By grace through faith or by the law? Right. Mm -hmm. Which one was it? Well, it wasn't by the law. It wasn't by some other method the false teachers were trying to convince you of. It was through faith in the word of God. That's how you received the Holy Spirit. So how do we know that we have the Holy Spirit? Well, it's pretty simple. Did you believe? Now, I know people are like, that's just too simple, buddy. That's exactly what the Bible teaches. That's exactly right. So if you want to know, if you're listening, do I have the Holy Spirit inside me? It's not a tingle. It's not a mystical experience. Okay. I'm not saying that God doesn't work in mystical ways, but none of those things we should base our assurance on. We have to judge everything by the word of God. Okay. I'm not an apostle. I don't have that authority. I'm not a prophet. Okay. I have not written down inspired scripture. Okay. If you take my journals, okay, and you publish them and put them in the word of God, they don't belong there. Okay. The word of God has been tried and true, tested for thousands of years. That's what I base my, my beliefs on. So if someone was to ask me, do I have the Holy Spirit? Why? I'd say the Bible says that if you believe in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. I've believed in Jesus. Therefore I have the Holy Spirit. Now, too logical, buddy. Too logical. Well, people may not like the logic, but that's what, that's what it is. That's what the Bible says. And the next thing is this, is God abiding in me? Okay. I know that the same way from the spirit. Okay. Well, as the spirit was received by the word of God, how do I know that the spirit is at work in my life? How do I know that I am not quenching the spirit, that I'm not grieving the spirit? How do I know mm. the word of God? It all goes back to the word of God. So again, I'm not denying that there are ways that God works in our lives. We could all share him right now. And there have been times in my life where God has shown up me and Katie, we have a you know, a story about God putting us together and taking us to True McConnell and God giving me a job so I could provide for my family, leading me to a wonderful place of ministry, leading me to this right here, how God worked to bring us to this group. God has worked in many wonderful ways. And none of those things were recorded in scripture, by the way. Okay. Mm. So I'm not saying that God is restricted, okay, to the to this book right here and that all, you know, experiences outside of that are just illusions. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is when it comes down to it, the only thing that we can know for sure about God is what he reveals in his word. Mm. That's the only thing we can know. There's no sure foundation apart from the word of God. So when it talks about the spirit here, a lot of people think this spirit refers to, again, emotion or mystical experience. That's not what spirit means. And in fact, we're going to really get into that this coming Sunday. But what the spirit means is that anointing when John preach to these people. Perhaps they were the ones, okay, that sat under him and they listened and they believed to Jesus for the first time. Okay. I don't know, but I assume that he calls them little children, children of the faith. Paul talked that way about the people in Corinth who had listened to him and he says, I've begotten you in the faith. So I assume these people that he's writing to, they had listened to John and got saved. He's like, when when I first came among you and I was preaching the word of God, you received an anointing, the Holy Spirit, when you believed. Now along with the Spirit came teaching, the basic mm-hmm. teaching about salvation, the basic teaching about eternal life. And I'm sure he taught some other things too. He taught about loving one another. He probably taught about baptism. Okay, But that's the anointing he's referring to here. You cannot take the Holy Spirit and this teaching and separate as if they're two different things. Uh, in fact, this is something that I think revolutionized my thinking. Uh, there was a really good book. I don't agree necessarily with all of it, but it's called Biblical Apologetics. And it's by, by Calvinist. But he had some good things to say. And he was essentially saying that we take the Holy Spirit and we divorce him from his word. Now, of course, the Holy Spirit existed eternally, okay? And he existed a long time before any words were written down in Scripture or spoken to human beings, okay? However, when we talk about the sword of the Spirit being the word of God, we're talking about when the word of God is shared in someone's life, 
that's how they in this life, before God removes the veil, where we can see glory, we can see heaven in this life, that's how we know what is of God and what is of the Spirit. Mm. There are lots of competing spirits in the world, right? And generally, they don't operate in a visible manner. They do. They often do. I believe fallen angels have deceived people. Uh, I believe that in general, that probably happens in places where people are more willing to believe it. Okay, here, more skeptical. Right. Satan's kind of glad to keep people in that skeptical darkness. Like, if, There's so much occultic stuff going on. Nobody. But it's growing, yes. And we've talked about that before. But um, the spirits obviously are invisible. Spirit of God and all these other fallen, created, demonic spirits. So how do we know what's of God and what's not? We have to judge and measure everything by the word of God. And some people may say that's boring. Where's the power? Like mm. in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Acts period, all this stuff that happened, you know, the healing and the tongues and all this stuff. Well, one guy said something a long time ago. Um, at least I read it a long time ago, and it was a really, really good statement. He said in the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, what did Abraham say to that man who said, surely they will believe if someone came back to them from the dead? Surely they will believe. What did he say? He, they won't even believe if someone comes back from the dead. They won't believe. Right. He says, because they have the law, they have right. Moses and they have the prophets. Right. And if they won't listen to them, they won't believe even if somebody comes back from the dead. Right. So what that means is, the word of God is a miracle. I mean, think about how the Bible has changed the world, mm. how it's turned society upside down. Well, think Jesus about how it changed you Satan in the wilderness, just with the word, just with the word of God. And how did he respond with the word of God every single time mm -hmm. quoted word for word. Right. And so whenever we consider the power of God at work in our lives or at work in other people's lives, we can't divorce it from the Bible. But that's what often happens. The Bible is sort of tagged on. You know, this is my experience. This is what happened. Right. Here's and the verse that support it. Yeah, here's a verse that supports it. I'll just quote this verse. It's like, but that's out of context. Shh, quiet. Because it's my experience. And you can't tell me that I'm wrong. It's like, but that's not what the Bible says. So we need to be good Bereans. I actually saw this uh, this discussion online, and it was about uh, a person. I agree with everything they said, at least as far as his post was concerned. But they said, uh, you know, listen, there are a lot of false teachers today. If you're sitting in a church and you're not, you don't know your pastor very well, okay, personally, uh, and even if you do, like, when you read the Bible as he preaches, yeah, make sure that it's lining up, yeah, okay, make sure it lines up. And this person said, no, 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 no. If the pastor has a gift, if, if the pastor has been called to preach and he's been to seminary and he knows the Hebrew and the Greek, who am I to challenge him? And and he says, and if I have a problem with it, I'll just leave the church. You know, I'll just leave. And I was thinking, wait a second. So there's no accountability for this person behind the pulpit. Is that how God designed things? No, no, no. But that's how it's going. It is absolutely churches. not. No accountability. Like, listen, I want to be able to stand before a church or a congregation as small as it is here or a larger one, or it doesn't matter where, but I want to stand before someone and say, listen, I'm trying to do my best to teach the word of God. Yes, I do have a seminary degree. Yes, I have studied it thoroughly. If I didn't know this well, then I would not be up here teaching people about it. Right. Okay. So you'd and be I, cherry picking through verses to make your three points. Exactly. So and exactly. And so I do know the Bible pretty well. I've studied it thoroughly and God has called me. I do Except believe God has. Job, maybe. What's that? Book of Job. Maybe. Book of Job is a tough one. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> so, but here's the thing. If I ever say something, that makes you think, I don't know if that lines up with the Bible. Oh. I want you to be a good Brian and act according to. Oh, you know we will, buddy. And, yeah. and I know you will. And that's what's, that, you know what? That's fine. It keeps me on my toes. It's good. I believe in accountability. Okay. I don't believe that the, I believe the pastor is a servant leader. And uh, I, I don't think a pastor is an apostle. I think that a lot of people think that pastors are like the apostles. <laughs> right. And you can, you don't challenge the apostles. Okay. You don't challenge their authority. And so you don't challenge Unless the you're pastors. Apostle, yeah. right. But the apostles aren't around anymore. Okay. But I saw a billboard on 285 that said the apostle and his, what, what the and prophetess or whatever. Prophetess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you have some people who claim that. But uh, we're not above that. Um, 
that standard of accountability. We're not above the word of God. No we, we submit oh. ourselves to it. And so again, when we talk, I do believe the spirit of God is in me and I believe that he's worked in my life, but how do I know ultimately, like if someone really pressed me, I think it's a good test of where your authority is. If you say, well, here's this story and you share an experience. Okay. Now it's okay to share your story. It's testimony, but does your testimony center on the word of God? Right. Or does it center on something else? How many times have we heard? I know y'all have. How many times have you heard testimonies of, listen, I was in church and man, I felt gripped and I went down to the cross. I went down like the, the, the foot of the cross up there on the wall and I got at the altar and I was torn up, man. I was crying and I was weeping and I knew I was saved. And it's like, okay, mm-hmm. what was preached? Mm-hmm. What did you believe? You know? And, and, it, and it's pure experience. Yeah. And I've heard it. I've Lord heard it many dead. times. There are a lot of churches around here, okay, that are just dead. like that. And it's a, it's about that. Really... Oh, they're going to go sit up on that bench. And if God wants them to be saved, he'll tell them how to do it. Exactly. And, and that is the opposite of what Scripture teaches. Uh, so, But again, that's what the Spirit of God is. And they won't prepare. There will be preachers that will get up in the pulpit and they just have it, 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 have it. And it's like, what are you saying? I mean, what? I've, I've watched excerpts where they're, <laughs> where they're, you know, so-and-so, I won't name him, is preaching. And then all of a sudden he switches to gibberish. And I'm thinking, he didn't plan anything. He just like, okay, I'm going to say this Ran part. Ran out of what I was going to talk about And today. then I'm going to talk about, and then I'm not going to say anything for like 10 minutes. And then I go back to it. It's, I know. It's, and, and it I think it was, what's his name? Uh, you know, I, know I think I showed you that video. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. What's his oh, name? Yeah, Tell that me. guy. Uh, Kenneth Copeland. Yes. Kenneth Copeland. And look, he was, you could clearly exactly see, was. he was yeah, stumbling yeah. over his words. Yes. And I, and I know this guy's just got stuck. Okay, he was preaching and he's he lost his train of thought and he needed some way to fill it. So then he just looked up and ha 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 and That's started right. talking. And he was so confidently talking. It's like, you have no idea what you're saying, but that's the whole point. You were, didn't really have something good to say. That's you got right. lost in your train of thought. It, I'm going to, give the benefit of the doubt and assume that he's not under demonic right oppression or possession at <laughs> <Maybe>. that moment. <laughs> Maybe. Right. But I think in general, it was just, there was nothing to be said by him at right. that moment. So he filled it with what gibberish. Right. And I feel like that, and uh, how did that edify the body that, that was attributed in, in to the minds of those people in that congregation. That was the spirit. That's how, you know, the truth, that's mm. the spirit. And it's like, no, you know the spirit from the word of God. Amen. That's my point. That's what I'm trying to say. So anyways, intimacy with God is possible by the presence of the Holy Spirit and measured by the Holy Spirit. And this coming Sunday, we will continue with chapter four. So hopefully you'll join us then. And hopefully, I know a song about chapter four. You what? There's a song. There's a I'll song. You. Okay. You teach me the song. Right well, we're going to be singing it on Sunday morning, maybe. Oh, really? Oh, I'm kind of scared tonight. now. I don't know. I'm scared too. I don't know what she's talking about. <laughs> Thank I'm you playing. so much for listening. If anybody's listening, God bless.